Lord, speak to us today through your word. We trust that we w- you will. We trust that uh, the words that were just read are words straight from your mouth, are the very breath of God. And so remind us of your love and of your grace and of your goodness. And remind us that we're your children today, we pray. We love you very much and we thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Welcome, my name is Ryan, I'm the pastor here, uh, it's good to be with you, as always, um, was, uh, appreciate Mark preaching last week, um, if I have to hear one more time about what a good job he did, I'm going to be sick. I told him, mediocre at best, that's where I am, that's where he needs to be, and he didn't listen to that, so we'll, we'll talk about that later, I suppose. Um, we're going to get into 6, 5 through 15 here. Uh, what I want to remind us of is the beginning of chapter 6, because that's kind of got the intro from Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount that helps us know what he's talking about in this section. So if you look back to the beginning of chapter 6 and verse 1, you'll read this, "'Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them.'" And then we said that Jesus says that statement, and then he gives three examples of what that looks like. That being of when you give to the poor, when you pray, which is what we'll talk about today, and then fasting next week. So you definitely don't want to miss next week. You know, what is more exciting than learning about how we should be fasting more often? You know? We'll see you then. So those are the three examples that he gives when he talks about underneath the heading of beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Here's ways that is easy to, to go about practicing your righteousness in front of people. What I think this section maybe uh, is about or what Jesus is doing is he's, he's overthrowing a religious system with a relationship. So this relationship is overtaking this religious system. The religious system has a bunch of hypocrisy in it. It has a bunch of duty. It has a bunch of earn uh, earn to get where you are. Your status d- is determined on how much you do and how often you do it and how dedicated you are to it. And so all of that is being overthrown by a relationship. That's what Jesus is saying here in this section. It's no different when we're talking about prayer. Well, before we get too far, let's give our sermon summary, which helps us kind of understand the sermon as a whole, hopefully. Prayer is an expression of our dependence on our loving Father. Prayer an expression of our dependence on our loving Father. There's a lot packed in there that we'll kind of look at, but if you just take that with you, it'd be a successful day for us. Prayer is an expression of our dependence on our loving Father. So what does the overthrow of this religious system look like in regards to prayer. Well, the first thing it does is it changes why we pray. I think these are the two things Jesus is addressing. This is going to change why we pray and how we pray. And those are the two things he's addressing here. So first, how is the overthrow of this religious system for a relationship, how would that change why we pray? Jesus addresses it here in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So under the religious system, you have to pray this amount of time, this many days, this many times a day, and you have to do what? The, the only way to sort of 
get rid of your conscience, which is telling you you're not good enough in the religious system, is to do more and then make sure other people see that and kind of help yourself feel the separation that you have from other people, right? So you pray, when you give, you sound a big trumpet. Oh my gosh, look at him giving again. He just did that yesterday to that poor person. Now he's giving to another poor person. What an amazing religious person. These type of things. When you pray, do it in the synagogue, do it in the street corner, do it loudly so everyone sees. Why? Because in the religious system, you've got to have that. That's like your hope, right? Is your good works and being separated from others because you're so righteous and religious. Well, what does it mean for prayer when that is kind of overtaken? Well, under the religious system, Prayer is an expression of my devotion, it's my diligence, it's everything about me, it's about my religious status. That's where prayer falls under this religious system. All about me, displaying, earning. Now before we go too far, the Lord reminds me this week, hey, before you go condemning the living daylights out of these folks, Mr. Pray-in-front-of-people-all-the-time guy. You know? Of course. Every, every time I, I go to pray, and if you ever spend time praying in public or with other people, whatever it might be, even at your dinner table probably, um, don't you have a little bit of that, like, what is this going to say about me? What will these people think about me? Of course. It's in all of us. It, it's, it, it's in there that, that prayer is going to be about me, and so we might use different language or, or we want to sound... In a, in a certain way to impress them. But with the overthrow of this religious system, that whole idea of prayer is gone. And Jesus says, hey, listen, if that's what you're after in prayer, like if you're after other people thinking that you're super religious, congratulations, you've got it. Great job. It's yours. Enjoy. Enjoy the fruit of your hard labor. But... He doesn't say this, but we'll say this because for some of us who have been religious for a long time, we know. It's exhausting. Trying to keep it up is going to just wear you out. And so beware. If you go into this religious system where it's all about what other people think of you and, and how religious you, you know, they think you are and all your, your duties that earn you, be ready to be worn out. It's going to wear you out. And we hope it does wear you out and you give up. And then Jesus enters. That's our hope. Verse 6, but when you pray, Jesus is going to correct it and say maybe this is what it should look like. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to not just God, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What a complete change from, what, from the way he was talking about prayer just a second ago. We didn't hear anything about God actually at all under that religious system way of praying, did we? There was no talk of God at all. It was all about the person praying. And now when he switches and talks about prayer under this relationship, he talks about God praying to God who is your Father, and God who is your Father and who sees and is with you in those moments. Again, this is, a, this is a big deal. We may not hear it as completely crazy, but this is the kind of stuff that got Jesus killed. No, no, God is not your father. I don't know who you think you are. He's not your father. 
And now Jesus is saying, he's not just my father. He's y'all's father. He's He's your father if you're in me. And so when God looks at Jesus and the affection in his heart, if you will, when God the Father sees Jesus, Jesus is saying that same affection, it's exactly the same as when he looks at you. Because you are a son, just like I am a son, Jesus says. That's unbelievable that the creator of the universe could be our father. Jesus, in in just these 15 verses of this section, I'm sorry, 10 verses of this section, he calls God father six times. And it's the only way he refers to God in this section. He doesn't call God anything else besides father here in these 10 verses, and he does it six times. I think that's He's probably trying to show us something, would be my guess. With each misrepresentation, in other words, verse 5, the misrepresentation of don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the street corners, how does, he, how does he adjust that? How does he correct that? He says, pray to your father. Same thing in verse 7 with the Gentiles and the misrepresentation of prayer there. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Instead, what? Don't be like them. What? What do you mean? Why? For your father knows. See how he corrects each misrepresentation with this relationship that we have with the father. The religious system is gone. God as our father, a relationship, is here. This is so much better than anything we've ever read in the scriptures previously. So in the Old Testament, you read things like this from Jeremiah 31, and this sounds amazing. This is the, new, the, the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. All right, what's it going to be? What's it going to look like, God? I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That sounds amazing. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and say to his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That sounds excellent. This is a million times better than that. It's not just that we're his people. We're his sons. We're we're the same as Jesus. We're wrapped up in Jesus. He's our Father. Not just, not just the God of the universe who spends time with us, that would be great. But he's actually our father. We're in relationship. We're his very children. The fatherhood of God, this is not just kind of like a side truth of Christianity or a side truth of the gospel that you can take or leave or that you can understand or not understand. This is at the very center of what Christianity is all about. When you think about the, the whole history of the Scriptures, it's all moving towards this point. Why in the world does Jesus die on a cross for our sins? Just so that we don't have sins anymore? No. So that we can be sinless now in front of God and actually be with God. So that we can be a son of God now. So, so all of those things are wonderful, but they're all leading us to the relationship with God. They don't exist on their own. J.I. Packer, a theologian and super smart guy, says this, you sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase, if you do, you speak of it as the revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. That's how he summarizes the whole of Scripture. In the same way, you sum up 
the whole New Testament religion if you describe the knowledge of God as one's holy father. Listen to this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and the whole outlook on life, it means that he or she does not understand Christianity very well at all. Do you see this relationship, this this fatherhood of God, this us as his children is central. It is, is the whole purpose and movement of the gospel. And Jesus is saying, look, religion is, is not about duty. It's about receiving his love and enjoying the relationship that he's established, that he's given us through his perfect life and death on the cross and resurrection. The Westminster Catechism, it's just some questions and answers put together by the church throughout history, says this, the very first question says, what is the chief end of man? Answer, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Just enjoy the relationship with a father forever and ever and ever. The overthrow of a religious system for a relationship with the father. It changes why we pray. Prayer, an expression, our sermon summary, an expression of our dependence on our loving father not only changes why we pray, though, it also changes how we pray, like what we say when we pray. Changes that as well. Verse 7 through 13. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want you to hear the kind of overarching theme, just in general, of this prayer. We, dependent children, God, the compassionate Father. That's a good way to summarize this. We, dependent children, God, the compassionate Father. So in that case, it's not about the words you use. You know? Oh God, thank you for my sanctification built on my justification of the blah, 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 blah. He he doesn't need to hear that. If you have children and they come to you in need, you don't say, interrupt the mid-sentence. Hold on. Proper vocabulary, please. Restart, you know? Oh, you, we just, just, well, I can't say all the time. Sometimes I'm like, can you do this later? But most of the time, many of the, uh, some of the time, we welcome them and say, yes, let me hear your request. I love you. I want to hear what's on your heart. I want to hear what you need. So it's not about the specific words that you use. He's not holding back. He's not waiting for you to use the right words. He's a, he's a gracious and loving father who's so pleased to just listen to his children. And give them what they need. We are dependent children. He, a compassionate Father. So when I say we're dependent children, Jesus is going to expand on that and tell us what do, what do, what do we mean by dependent? Dependent for what? 
And that's when he goes in. First thing, we're dependent on his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are completely dependent upon him bringing his kingdom here. We can't make that happen. We can't bring his kingdom. We can't speed it up. We're saying, God, your ways, your ways of justice, of grace, of love, bring those here. Make that happen here. We, we can't do that. We're desperate and needy for you to do that. Would you please do that here? And we're also looking forward to the day when we're saying, would you just come back soon, you know, and establish your kingdom kingdom, like the final kingdom. Let's, let's do that quickly too because we're kind of sick of the suffering and we're kind of sick of, of the hurt and, and, and the struggle and the sin. Just come back soon, please. Your kingdom come, both sort of in here and out there, all of it. Bring it. We're desperate for you to bring it. There is a catch, though, with that. Right? The catch is that the kingdom of God is not brought in the ways we always think it's brought. Right? When I think kingdom of God, I think glory. I'm probably riding a horse. Um, I don't know why this happens, but, you know, I'm the star of the show. But anyway, um, right? It's, it's just always like, yay, happy times. But when we think about the way that that the kingdom of God has come before. It hasn't come like that. It's come with suffering. It's come lowly. And so when we say, Lord, bring your kingdom here, it's kind of like praying for patience, you know? It's like, (laughs) you know how you grow in patience, right? Same thing. You want his kingdom to come. You want more growth here in you? You want more out there? Well, it might come through a different way than, than we think. Sinclair Ferguson says, he's a a writer and and pastor, he says this, Unlike the kings of this world, God establishes his kingdom through suffering, self-denial, and service. To pray for that kingdom means committing yourself to the way of the cross. Wow. So beware when we pray, kingdom come. We're saying your kingdom the way you bring your kingdom. Suffering, service, self-denial, the way of the cross. We trust that that's best. We're wavering, but we're trusting that that's that's best. Secondly, then, we not only need his kingdom, we're dependent on him to bring his kingdom. Secondly, we're dependent upon him for his provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Martin Luther, who's another reformer of the church, he said that daily bread was just a symbol for really everything we need to sustain us in life. Everything in life. We're totally dependent on God for the, the substance to sustain our life. Now, we don't always see this, right? Because it comes through means. So you sit down at the table to eat, and maybe you pray and thank God for it, or maybe you just dig in. But it's even hard to know, oh, God, thanks for this food, right? Because, well, I have a job that pays me money, and I have a grocery nearby, and I went to that grocery and paid with the money and, and bought the food and brought it here and made it because I have a stove and a house and all these things, right? And so it's kind of hard to be like, God brought this food. Well, he didn't bring it. Like, Jesus didn't show up at the door with, with five guys. You know, I mean, it was some made somewhere else, right? But we're saying, no, God, you have provided all of those things that I just mentioned and provided this meal for us. I, I have a buddy who one time we were having a meal together, and he prayed, said something like, Lord, we know many go without tonight, and we're no better than those people, but for some reason you've provided for us with this meal tonight, and we're really thankful for it. I just thought, wow, I haven't given it that much thought, but that's true. God, thanks for this provision. 
because I could lose my job tomorrow. I could get sick tomorrow. I could whatever. Who knows? But tonight, we have this meal, and we're really thankful. Thanks for your provision, Lord. You can imagine maybe a farmer looking at his field before he goes to bed, you know, and looking out on the field and seeing the crops and saying, well, they're there now, but who knows what could happen, right? We could have some people come and, and, and raid our village and set fire to my fields. I don't know. God, I'm, I'm praying tomorrow you provide our daily bread for what, what we need because I can't control it. I can't really go out there and protect them all night. It's that, it's that sort of thing. God, provide for us. I remember saying to my mom one time in my frustration, you know, these kids are never going to know all that Kate and I have done for them, and they're never going to say thank you for everything that we do for them, like running all around, paying money to soccer clubs and taking them all over the place. They're never going to even say thank you for that. And then I thought, did you ever say thank you to your parents? No. Heck no, you know? I've never said, hey, Mom, thanks for just providing food for us or, or thanks for driving me around to basketball or whatever it might be, right? It's just the, the natural human heart is kind of focused on ourself, focused on, hey, we deserve this. And, God, and, and Jesus is, is showing us in this relationship, your dependent children, see yourself as that. But see me as the gracious God who provides. I'm not angry to provide. I'm not holding it over your head. I'm not reminding you, hey, you, you know, I worked hard to provide you that food. I'm a gracious God who gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. And I love to do it. Prayer is an expression of our dependence on our loving Father. It's a sermon summary. Third, we need His forgiveness. Here's two things I know about me and two things I know about you. I need some food for tomorrow, and I'm going to need some forgiveness for tomorrow. Those two things are for sure about tomorrow and for later today. That's the, about the only thing I know and that God will be with me. Those are about the only things we know for sure about tomorrow. We need His forgiveness now, the religious system is completely missing this because they just deny all of it, you know? And we, like in our prayer of confession this morning, can say, hey, let's be real in front of one another and say, hey, I'm a sinner, and here's the type of sinner that I am. Here's what I do. I was, I was having um, dinner last night with someone from AA, and they were speaking about the community that is built when they get in a room together and they say, oh, this sounds crazy, but here's what I've done. And everybody else is like, yeah, oh, yeah, I thought that exact same thing. I've done that exact same thing. And I thought, that, that should be, that, that's exactly how the church ought to be. You know, a place where sinners can come and not hide, but finally come clean on the fact that they're sinners. Whatever particular sin they're involved in. We need his forgiveness. And Jesus is so realistic with his disciples when he comes and says, here's the type of prayer you're going to need. You're going to need a prayer that says, forgive me, God, for our debts. Forgive us for our debts. Again, Sinclair Ferguson, I appreciate him writing the sermon today for us. He says this, prayer involves struggle, struggle of being subdued by God, coming out of the dark and secret places in which we have been hiding the truth about ourselves, and laying the whole of our lives before him. Coming out of the dark places of hiding and laying before him all of our lives. We desperately need that forgiveness, and he is a gracious God. And when you come and say, God, man, I, we've done it again. I've done it again. He says, you're forgiven and loved because of Christ. Fourth, we need his protection. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look, we as weak, dependent children need His protection. What happens when a heart that desires sin is met with a temptation and maybe even um, some sort of evil power in above around that as well? That's a bad mix for all of us. And so we realize that as dependent children, as children who are not strong, as children who are not able to just fight off all the sin ourselves, we come as dependent children and say, God, we need your help. We need your protection. Uh, There's an old saying, but by grace there go I. Meaning if it's not for your grace, I don't know where I would be. You know, what's your first response when you hear of someone in some wretched sin? Is it, man, I can't believe a person would do something like that. If it is, come back to reality and say, but by grace, there go I. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I can't believe that, you know, for us guys, I can't believe that guy had, you know, that basketball player had all those affairs. It's like, well, have you ever been propositioned by like 32 people in one night? No, so be quiet, okay? But by grace, there go I. I don't know, I haven't been in that circumstance, you haven't either, Thank God for his protection that we're not. But by grace, there go I. So we say, God, please protect us from these things. We're not the strong people who can just resist all the sin. We're weak, and we desperately need your protection. Deliver us from evil. Keep us from temptation, please. Remember this parable from Jesus back in Luke chapter 18. We've talked about it several times. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's the religious way. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Blah, 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 blah. But the tax collector, standing far off, could not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself, the one who sees himself as a dependent child, in other words, will be exalted. We owe everything to God. Wherever we stand in our Christian life, it's because of His grace and care and protection. So wherever you find yourselves today, He knows. Whatever's on your heart, He knows. Whatever you need tomorrow, He knows better than you know. He delights to spend time with His children. He delights to listen and care for you. He is a loving Father. He loves you more than you can ever imagine, more than you'll ever know. So let's pray together that our life together as a church can be about enjoying the fatherhood of God, learning how to do that together, and then by God's grace, perhaps the world around us sees that and and wants some of it, you know, and wants a piece of that and says, I don't know what that is, but I want some of that relationship with God that you have that you'd call him father. That's our prayer, and may God... Do that here amongst us. Let's pray together. Father, you are with us 
we are reminded as we come to you in prayer, perhaps more of a reminder for us about your presence with us. We're reminded that you care for us, that you love us, but I know I am not like many here. We struggle to really believe that. We struggle to know how to pray. We struggle to know what to pray. And we find ourselves like dependent children and think something is wrong. Would you remind us that nothing is wrong? We are dependent children. And you are a gracious and loving Father. And may our life together truly look like dependent children. And in our dependence, may we find life. And in our dependence, may others see us see a difference because we are promoting not individualism but dependence and may they see that and desire it and may we speak to them the beautiful words of the gospel of the hope of having God as their father. God, we love you um, but our love is nothing compared to your love for us and we're so thankful for that. So work it deep into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.